This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to The Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan, your host for today. In this episode, we are looking at the rollout of China's new digital currency called the Digital Yuan or the Digital Currency Electronic Payment or DCEP system. The ambitious rollout has already seen big trials in several Chinese cities. We are asking what this means for China, for its financial sector, for the big Chinese tech giants like Alibaba and Tencent that have so far been dominating the financial payment space and what it also means for the world. Joining me today is Santosh Pai, who has been closely tracking the development of China's digital currency. He is an honorary fellow at the Institute of Chinese Studies in New Delhi. Santosh is also a corporate lawyer, and he advises both Chinese and Indian firms in navigating regulatory issues in both markets. Santosh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Anand. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for inviting me for the podcast. Thanks, Santosh. So the digital currency, the digital yuan has been getting a lot of attention in the press of late ever since trials were held in several cities, uh, including a big trial in Shenzhen in 2020. So just to walk our listeners through it, how different is using a digital currency system from, for example, making a payment on PTM or if you're in China on WeChat or Alipay? That's a good question. Uh, from a user perspective, uh, it is not very different. You still make a payment using your mobile phone. Mm. But conceptually or from a legal perspective, it's very, very different. So let me just explain in uh, two or three simple points. The digital currency, which is you know backed by the central bank, is actually a substitute for the RMB. So it's backed by the central bank's reserve or legal tender, as it's called. It's also highly centralized. Uh, whereas uh, WeChat Pay or Paytm, for instance, is only backed by the operator or the intermediary, which is uh, Tencent or uh, Paytm. So the currency is not legal tenders, you can use it for transactions on that particular platform. And the stability of the currency is linked to the financial viability or the commercial viability of that particular platform. Mm. So that's the broad difference. Uh, Other differences on the anonymity, Uh, 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 the central bank will desire uh, some kind of control over Mm. whether users can have complete anonymity, for instance, to track black market transactions, illegal transactions, and so on. So to that extent, I think uh, anonymity is a big concern about what kind of uh, privacy uh, protection will be provided for the legal uh, tender, the digital UN. And uh, the last difference, I think, is that uh, which from a uh, society perspective is very important is the digital yuan can be used without internet. So right. once you have a dig- digital wallet, uh, there's some technology called the near field communication technology, which will make it possible for users to use the digital yuan even without internet. And I think that in many uh, usage uh, cases is very important. Mm. And of course, Santosh, uh, it's also basically you're cutting out a third party, right? 
And so as a user, you won't be having to pay uh, a fraction of your payments as currently happens to a Paytm or a WeChat. Uh, so I suppose if this is rolled out en masse, this would give the digital yuan a huge advantage over those other systems. Yes, correct. Uh, there's no transaction fees because it's run by the government. It's actually saving the government a lot of money because, you know, issuing paper currencies or metal coins is a very expensive proposition. So, of course, there will be a lot of savings uh, for the government, which will certainly be passed on to the consumers. Before we get to what stage China currently is in, in its rollout of its digital currency, how much of this, Santosh, in your view, is a response to the rise of cryptocurrencies, to Bitcoin? It seems to be that both have kind of taken off at the same time. Uh, yes, I think there is a connection there, but I also think there's a big connection with the entire COVID pandemic and the lockdown because that actually gave a boost uh, to digitization generally, uh, not just in China, but uh, in many parts of the world. So the uh, People's Bank of China has been testing this digital currency internally or within government uh, uh, sort of circles for almost five years because you can find mentions in their policy plans going back to 2016. But I think uh, the first announcement of the pilot uh, actually appeared in April 2020, which is just a week after the, the biggest lockdown in China ended. So that suggests that uh, during the lockdown, government made up its mind saying this is a very good time for us to push it out and start testing it in the real world, so to speak. So starting from April, uh, I, I got some statistics around 2 billion yuan or about $300 million worth of digital yuan have been used or have mm. been tested across uh, 4 million separate transactions. This includes different types of uh, pilots. For example, in Shuzhou, I think government employees were paid using digital yuan so that they use it uh, outside. Uh, in Shenzhen, there was a lottery across the city for people who want to uh, be part of the pilot project and so on. So I think uh, starting from April, uh, there's a sense that the pilot schemes have gained steam. And there was also a recent announcement that by 2022 Olympics, the Winter Olympics, which is going to be hosted in Beijing, uh, that will be a kind of a soft deadline to maybe showcase it to the entire world about how the digital yuan has taken shape in China. Mm. Yes, uh, that's right. It's, uh, it's quite something. And the reports in the Chinese press, Santosh said it was favorably received uh, in the trial runs in Shenzhen from what I read. Uh, and people found it to be quite convenient. Uh, they were allowed to download the app, uh, the official app. And once they were able to do that, as you said, they could do transactions even without an internet connection. So it seems that in terms of convenience, Santosh, uh, it has been viewed favorably within China. But as you said, there are privacy issues as well. Within China, so far, there seems to be a trend where convenience outweighs privacy. So would you expect that to not be a big hurdle within the unique uh, confines of China's uh, internet world? Yes, I, I don't think it will be a big concern, but it is something that they'll have to do because you're taking a big step, you're substituting a legal tender with a digital currency. So it, those are boxes that need to be ticked. So just to uh, you know, inform your listeners, uh, in July 2020, uh, there was an opinion issued by the China Supreme Court mm. uh, about the status of digital currency. In, in many ways, that kind of legitimizes the digital currency. 
And uh, in October 2020, uh, we also had a draft law which was uh, brought out for public consultation. Mm. And now the consultation has ended. So I would expect sometime in 2021, uh, there will be a, a legal framework to back up the digital demand. Mm. And Santosh, what does this all mean? Uh, the two big uh, giants in the room, Tencent and Alibaba, have had uh, a free run pretty much. Uh, of the online digital payments world in China uh, through Alipay and, of course, through WeChat Pay. What does this mean for them? And just to give some background to our listeners, how do you see these developments on the digital currency front against the backdrop of this larger tussle that's going on in China? There were big uh, headlines, of course, with the troubles of Alibaba uh, in terms of the suspended IPO of the Ant Group. Of course, the speculation surrounding the future of Jack Ma. And now we know there have been moves against Tencent as well. So what exactly is going on, Santosh? Yes, Anand, that's right. Uh, so as you know, WeChat and Alipay made digital payments very, very popular in China. In fact, Weixin Fu and Trifu Bao became almost uh, synonymous with payments in uh, China, including for foreigners like us who visit China. Mm. So they have played a large role in really, you know, changing the user habits, uh, getting people uh, comfortable with making payments for almost anything and everything, whether it's a taxi ride or uh, purchases online, uh, and even buying uh, insurance products, uh, opening fixed deposits, so on. So they have played a huge role. Now, coming to this tussle, uh, it is mostly tactical because I think uh, in April 2020, when People's Bank of China decided to fast-track the digital yuan, it also coincided with Ant Group's uh, preparations for an IPO. And uh, at that time, I think the government was faced with a quandary, saying, while they appreciate WeChat and Alipay's efforts in you know, uh, changing user habits, which will definitely help the digital yuan, mm. uh, it's the government. And uh, the government would prefer it if they didn't have to compete with private interests who are you know, almost like pushing the parallel product, which mm. is in direct competition. And I think ideally they would like them to have some kind of a partnership and surprise after the clampdown in November, December, and January. We now have announcements saying WeChat and Alipay have both partnered with the People's Bank of China and they will actually help in this rollout or so to speak, they will uh, offer their platforms uh, to the Chinese government so they can, you know, users who have already been using uh, WeChat Pay or Alipay can also easily choose to use the digital yuan on their same platform. So it does seem like a tactical uh, kind of move by the Chinese government to signal that you've done all the hard work, we appreciate it. And they're also very big to fail. One must also bear in mind that WeChat and Alipay are very too big to fail. So it's not in government's interest to push them down too much, but to the extent that they require their uh, support in the mm. digital UN, I think that, that purpose has been served with you know, whatever we saw in the last few months. Right. In one sense, Santosh, it's less of a culture shock for people in China to do away with cash. Uh, I think it's difficult for people uh, to really understand outside China how cashless it actually is. I know, Santosh, you've been traveling to China multiple times a year for many years. Uh, give us a sense of how uh, exactly uh, things are in China. Isn't it fair to say that, especially among young people now, people pretty much just no longer use cash at all, in big cities at least? 
Yes, absolutely right, Anand. So I I moved uh, to India from China in 2015, mm-hmm. and in the last uh, six years or so, I can remember you know only about four or five times that I've actually had to use currency, which I always carry for, as a safety backup. Yeah. But I've not had to use those notes at all. I still have them with me. But on WeChat and Alipay, I've made almost all payments, including flights, hotels, restaurant bills, and so on. So uh, just to give you a sense of the statistics, I think eighty percent of mm-hmm. uh, transactions in China, which is four out of five payment transactions, are digital or mm-hmm. paperless. And uh, to give our Indian listeners uh, an idea of where India stands. Uh, India still ha- accounts for about sixty-one uh, percent of transactions in the traditional paper mode, mm. with about you know forty percent or so coming in the digital mode. Mm. That's the kind of difference. And today, you can say very uh, uh, firmly that people who live in big cities in China, uh, who are you know urban consumers, uh, especially people with smartphones and so on, they rarely have to reach out to their wallet and fish out notes or coins for any kind of a transaction. Well, China, of course, Santosh, uh, as you pointed out earlier, there are signs that they are planning a mass rollout in terms of uh, before the Winter Olympics in Beijing, February twenty twenty two. How are other countries going ahead with digital currencies? Is China uh, the farthest ahead on the curve? And as far as you're aware, uh, are there discussions on this in India as well? Yes. So to answer this question, I would like to step back because we have been hearing about the internationalization of the RMB for more than ten years now, at least right. uh, since I started focusing on China. Uh, but so far, only about four percent of international uh, transactions happen using the RMB, uh, compared to the domination of the US dollar, which accounts for about eighty-eight percent of international transactions. So uh, it's fair to say now that you know the internationalization of the RMB. Gain a major boost by the digital yuan, and you, we can already see pieces of that puzzle forming. Uh, BRI is a big piece of that uh, game, where China will now start talking to all of its BRI partners and say that you know if we are going to have a, a transaction uh, related to BRI project, let's make it uh, you know in the digital format using the digital yuan. And uh, I see at least some of the countries which depend on these uh, kind of projects in a big way uh, accepting this. And uh, we have seen MOUs with central banks of Thailand, UAE, uh, and also there was a recent announcement with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority uh, to test uh, the digital yuan uh, for uh, international payments. And from a consumer side, also, uh, you know, your earlier question on Bitcoin. One of the major drivers for Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in China was the strict capital control. So, uh, 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 Chinese national is allowed only about fifty thousand dollars worth of outward remittances uh, per year, uh, whether it is for tourism purpose or education and so on. Whereas in India, to give you a contrast, it is two hundred and fifty thousand US dollars per year. For uh, national, so because of this uh, very tightly controlled remittance uh, scheme, a lot of Chinese nationals were resorting to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies to send uh, money outside China, and this is also uh, one uh, space where China will look to cover ground and uh, replace all these cryptocurrencies with the Bitcoin. Incidentally, the the formal law on the digital currency uh, has a firm. Uh, sort of restriction, saying there will be no other uh, uh, 
currency, digital currency, which will have the same backing of the RMB as the digital yuan. So it's clearly uh, has a lot of international ramifications. And also for foreign companies doing business in China, I think uh, this is the right time for them to conduct feasibility studies on how their business will be impacted. Uh, mm. They need to start developing partnerships with intermediaries. Uh, about six banks, six state-owned banks uh, in Beijing and Shanghai have already been authorized uh, to allow citizens to open digital uh, yuan wallets. Uh, after conducting KYC. So this is really the time for everyone who's dealing with China in one way or the other to see what will be the impact, uh, be it uh, national governments or uh, individuals uh, traveling to China or foreign businesses operating within China. I think the digital yuan will certainly have an impact on all of their businesses. A final question, Santosh. Uh, we know that uh, the US has been talking of, uh, of a digital currency as well. Uh, and has made some statements about how it's it's moving ahead with it. Uh, where does India stand uh, right now on exploring a, a, a central bank, reserve bank issued digital currency? Is that something that's going to be in the works? Yes, certainly. Uh, I believe so. Uh, because uh, if you just look at it in terms of smartphone penetration, India is already comparable to China. So we have about 60% of penetration, smartphone penetration, which is a key driver of adoption for digital payments. Uh, but where China really stands out is, as I told you earlier, the sheer scale uh, of uh, the percentage of payments which are already happening uh, in uh, the digital format. They, they have a vast lead over all other countries. So in India, I think in February, the RBI government made that we will go for digital currency. Uh, there was also some news that it might be uh, based on a blockchain uh, technology format. So the heartening fact is that India is registering very fast growth on the digital side. Uh, in fact, there was news that India actually surpassed China in terms of the number of uh, real-time payment transactions, which is uh, a set of whether it's a bank account to bank account transaction, whether it's a debit card transaction, or whether it's a pure mobile phone-based transaction. So if you take everything collectively, India is already registering uh, very fast growth. But on a per capita basis, uh, India still has a long distance to cover. I think India today is uh, maybe six or seven in the world uh, in terms of per capita usage of digital transactions. So the potential certainly exists. If RPI can step in and put in the infrastructure and the policy uh, framework in place, there is no reason why Indians today who are uh, comfortable with smaller transactions to buy something at a shop or make taxi payments will not embrace digital uh, currency in a big way. Well, thank you, Santosh, so much for those insights. I think it's a really brave new world and a topic I'm sure we will come back to on the In Focus podcast. Thank you so much, Santosh, for helping us make sense of what is happening in China on this front, and I'm sure we'll have you back. Thank you, Amit. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.